So over the last four weeks, we've been talking about really overcoming temptation and how do we begin to really walk in faith and therefore walk in victory uh, over all the schemes and the, the snares of Satan. So let's just kind of jump right in uh, this morning. Let's look at the first point on our outline this morning. So we said that there are three tools of temptation that Satan uses against us every time. We said there's nothing new under the sun, right? The same tools of temptation that Satan used against Adam and Eve in the garden are the same tools of temptation he uses against me and you. You, uh, Every temptation that you and I have ever faced and every temptation that you and I will ever face in the future will always come down into one of these three areas or one of these three categories. And we said that the tools of temptation are literally our own desires. James chapter 1 says that we are drawn away by our own desires. Satan uses the carnality of our flesh to draw us away from God, disconnect us from his purpose, his provision, his promise, his promotion, all the things that God desires to do in our lives. Satan uses temptation to draw us away. And so we said those three tools of temptation is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. First John verse 15 says, do not love the world or the things in the world, for if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father, we said this, the love of the Father is not in him. The love, the word love there literally means to find contentment in. So we simply said this, we said if I love the world or the things of the world, if I'm looking to the world to bring contentment and satisfaction in my life, then I'm always going to be open to temptation, right? Because if I believe that this house will make me happy, right, we've said this for three weeks now, then I must believe when I get that house that a bigger house would probably make me happier, right? And if I think this car would make me happy, then probably a faster car or a newer car would make me happier. If I think this person would make me happy, well, when the new wears off, then I begin to look around and think, well, that person might make me happier. And so we recognize that as long as you are looking to the world, if you love the world or the things in the world, if you're looking for contentment in what the world has to offer, you'll never be content. And you will constantly be manipulated and controlled and literally dominated by the enemy because he'll just lure you around by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. And so the Bible says that if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. That, that last phrase literally means I'm not being led or controlled by the love of God. If I'm being led by lust, I'm not being led by love. If I'm being led by the carnality of my flesh, then I'm not being led by the leadership of the Holy Spirit. So I can't walk in lust and love, and I can't walk in my flesh and walk in the Spirit at the same time. So I have to make sure that I am being governed and controlled by the love of God. Look at that next scripture, verse 16. It says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of God. The world. So let's look at our next point on your outline. So we said there are three keys, and we called them the big three, three keys to victory that disarm the enemy and that empower us to live by faith. And so those three uh, things, the big three is integrity, generosity, and humility. We talked about integrity two weeks ago. Uh, we said integrity is a predetermined decision on how you're going to live your life based on the Word of God. Last Sunday we talked about generosity. And we talked about how that generosity focuses on what I have and how I can use it for the glory of God instead of focusing on what I don't have or on what I do want, right? And all of a sudden, when I shift from a, from a lust of the eye perspective to a generosity perspective, I become grateful, right? 
Because when you have a generous spirit, you become grateful for what you have, and then you begin to want to use what you have in order to honor and glorify God. And so today we're going to talk about humility. So let's uh, revisit real quick. So the lust of the flesh uh, is the temptation to feel, right? I want to feel good. Uh, But integrity says I want to do good. The lust of the eyes, which is what we talked about last week, is the temptation to have. I see it and I want it. But generosity says I have it and I want to use it for the glory of God. Now let's talk about where we're going today and that is the last one, which is the pride of life. So the pride of life simply says this, uh, the pride of life is the temptation to be. I want to be better than you, right? I want to be better than you. Let me just say this about pride. Pride affects everybody and pride comes in all kinds of forms and fashion. But there is a driving force behind that spirit of pride that simply says, I want to be, right? I want to be, most of the time, I want to be better than you. I want to be smarter than you. I want to be richer than you. I want to be prettier than you. I want to be healthier than you. I want to be, I want to be, right? I want to be, and you can just fill in the blank, right? I want to be happy. I want to be loved. And, and think about, think about how many relationships have been destroyed and devastated because of pride. See, all of a sudden what happens is over a period of time, if you're not consistently investing in the relationships that God has brought into your life, you will one day wake up and say, you don't make me happy. I'll never forget, I'd been pastor for just a couple years. And a lady came into my office one day and her and her husband had been married for 24 years. And she was in tears. And she said, last night my husband told me he didn't love me anymore. And he wants a divorce. You don't make me happy and I want to be happy so because of pride I'm going to pursue a relationship outside of my marriage in order to find happiness because I deserve to be happy right think about that think about how that spirit of pride manipulates and deceives us into making choices and decisions that are constantly self-destructive and undermine really what God wants to do So the temptation of pride is that pride says, I want to be, I want to be better than you, right? It's not enough to be like you because once I get like you, now there's something in me that says, I want to be better than you. Pride creates a competitive spirit that says anything is legal as long as I can advance ahead of you. So if I have to lie about you or I have to manipulate you or I have to step on you in order to climb the corporate ladder, everything's legal and okay and acceptable because we're in competition with one another and I want to be better than you. And competition comes in and begins to undermine what God wants to do. Think about competition in the family. You ever seen sibling rivalry? You ever seen brothers and sisters get in competition with each other? You know what it does? Does it make the family healthy and stronger? No. It makes the family weaker and more susceptible to the snares and the temptations of the enemy. Why? Because when that competitive spirit, which is driven out of pride, begins to put us in opposition, now I'm competing against you instead of working with you for the greater good. And so sibling rivalries spring out of pride. Let me tell you something else. You ever seen uh, church splits, right? All of a sudden, you start having division in churches. Why do you have division in churches? Because of pride. 
All of a sudden, there's a competitive spirit, and, and I want to be better than you, and I, and I want to do it better than you, and I want to do this more than you, and I want to have your position, and I want to do what you're doing. And all of a sudden, there is this competitive spirit that creeps into our, even our churches and begins to bring dissension and discord in the body of Christ. And so what's the remedy for pride? Humility. So pride says, I want to be better than you, but humility says, I want to help you be better. I want to help you be better. Now, what's exciting about this study this morning is we're going to look in the book of Philippians. So if you got your Bibles, you want to flip, may want to flip to Philippians chapter 2. Because in Philippians chapter 2, we're going to look at nine verses. And in these nine verses, these nine verses give us, based off the life of Jesus Christ, they give us a biblical perspective of the contrast between pride and humility. And in Philippians chapter 2, uh, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, lays out uh, just this amazing plan of what humility ought to look like in our life and how it contradicts that spirit of pride that wants to rob us and keep us from God's best. So let's look in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Here it is. It says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourself. Now let me just make a statement right here. It doesn't say think less of yourself. It just says think of others as better than yourself. There is a false humility. There's a false humility that the devil actually wants to put on you that says, well, in order to be humble, you've got to think that you're junk. Right? That you're nothing, that you're insignificant, that you're not important, that you're not valuable. Everybody else is better than you, and you're just a little old piece of nothingness over here. I want to tell you something. That is false humility. That is, that is a false humility. God does not want you to think of yourself as a piece of junk because you're not a piece of junk. You are precious. You are valuable. You are worthy. You are so precious and valuable that God paid the highest price any person could pay, and that was the life and the death and the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, to redeem you and rescue you. So God does not want you walking around thinking that you're nothing. God wants you to understand that you are valuable, that you are mighty, that you are strong, that you are accepted, and that there is greatness shut up on the inside of you. But humility, genuine humility, strives to be great, but it recognizes that my greatness is intended to help others be great also. God makes me great so I can help others be great. God makes me better so I can help others be better. God makes me strong so I can help others be strong. God makes me wise so I can help others be wise. God helps me walk in grace so I can help others walk in grace. God teaches me the power of forgiveness so I can teach others the power of forgiveness. And so we understand there's a false humility that the enemy wants to put on us that says you need to think of yourself as nothing. No, you need to recognize you are somebody special in the eyes of God, and you have great value and worth. So the Bible says, don't be selfish, don't try to impress others, be humble, and think of others as better than yourself. Let's look at the next point on your outline. So pride is self-centered, and humility is others-centered. See, when I live in pride, pride is all about self. Pride is all about me. 
Pride thinks about me, looks at me, and cares about me. Pride is about living a self-centered life. But when you begin to live a life of humility, you actually begin to live for others. You begin to think about other people. You begin to be concerned about other people. You begin to look at your life and realize this is not, as we talked about a while ago, this is not a me vision. This is a we vision. This is not about one person in the family. This is about the entire family. This is not not about one person on the job. This is about everybody on the job. For all you guys in the Sunshine House, this is not about one guy in the house. This is about the entire house, right? That's humility. Humility begins to say, you know what? It's not about me. It's about others. How many of you are are thankful this morning that when Jesus went to the cross, he wasn't just thinking about himself. He was thinking about others. Because if on the cross, if Jesus was just thinking about himself, he would have got off the cross. But Jesus wasn't just thinking about himself. He was thinking about others. Let's go back to that in verse 3 again. Don't be selfish because pride is self-centered. And look at that next part, and don't try to impress others. Let me tell you a deception of pride. Pride makes you self-centered, but it also makes you self-conscious. And what happens is, is we become so self-conscious, so self-aware, that we are no longer able to be real with God or people. See, we spend our lives, think about how much time, how much energy, and how much money people spend on trying to impress others. Now, there's nothing wrong with having a good first impression, right? There's nothing wrong with having a spirit of excellence. There's nothing wrong with doing the best that you can do with what you got. We ought to do that. We ought to live our lives that way. But we ought to make sure that the motivation of our heart is to do the best we can do in order to glorify God instead of doing the best we can do because we want to impress somebody because we want them to think that we're actually better than we really are. I mean, don't we kind of come to church on Sunday mornings, we put on our Sunday morning smiley faces, and we hold up our praise the Lord hands, and we, we bow our reverent heads, and we amen the preacher right when he's preaching really good, and, and then we, we just make sure, I mean, right, we're like, uh, you know, we, we, got on our, we got on our Sunday morning face, because there's a little thing called spiritual pride, and spiritual pride says, I want you to think I'm holier than I really am. <laughs> I want you to think I'm more spiritual than I really am. I talk about prayer all the time, but I really don't pray. But I don't want you to know that I don't pray, so when I get around you, I talk about prayer so that you think I'm a prayer warrior, when in reality, the only time I talk about prayer is when I'm in front of people that think I ought to be praying. And so there's a spiritual pride that says, I want to impress people. And the problem with spiritual pride is that there is a self-centeredness and there is a self-focus to such a degree that that we are so self-conscious that we can't be real because we're afraid we'll be rejected. I'll never forget a gentleman in our church. He came to me one day and he had been battling with pornography. And he came and he had confessed his sin to some brothers that he was in a small group with. And he came to me that Sunday and he said, Pastor Keith, I just want to let you, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for creating a church where we can be real. And know that we're not going to be condemned and we're not going to be judged and we're not going to be shunned and we're not going to be looked down upon because we have struggles and issues in our lives. He said, I want to thank you for creating a place where we can be real because let me tell you the one thing I know about God. Spiritual breakthrough never happens unless you get real with God. 
It never happens. And that's one of the dangers of pride. Pride says, I want to impress people so much, I can never be real with people. I can never share my struggle. I can never share my pain. Now, I understand there's a right place and a wrong place to do that. And there's right people and wrong people to do that. And let me just give you a a 10-cent piece of advice. Facebook is not the place to share your struggle. (laughs) Not it. Don't share your struggle, your frustration, your disgust, your discouragement. Don't share none of that on Facebook. Get in a small group. Connect to the body of Christ. Find believers who genuinely love you and have a safe place where you can be real, where you can lay aside the pride and the self-consciousness that says, I can't be real so I have to impress people and get real with God, get real with people and let breakthrough and freedom come into your life. I can't tell you how many people that Kelly and I have ministered to that all we had to do was listen and all they had to do was be real. We didn't have no magic prayer. We didn't have no great word of wisdom. Their breakthrough came the moment they got real with God and was willing to lay down the pride and stop trying to impress people and say, hey, I want to be real with people. In the right place, in the right environment, but I want to be real because I want to be free. Amen? Amen. Let's look at our next scripture. Philippians 2 verse 4. It says, don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. Look at the next point on your outline. Pride is only interested in what benefits self. Humility is interested in what benefits others. Don't take an interest only in what benefits you, the scripture says, but be interested in others. Now think about this. Pride causes you to make decisions that are based solely upon your benefit. I can't tell you how many parents I've had come to me who've had children or grandchildren struggling with addiction. And I can't tell you how many times they've said, don't they care? How can they do this to our family? How can they do this to us? How can they do this to their children? How can they do what they're doing? Don't they see the devastation, the repercussions, and the destruction that's reaping through our family? And the answer is no, they don't see it. And the reason they don't see it is because they are blinded by pride. See, pride only considers one person, and that's self. Pride makes decisions based on what will best Benefit me. What will best benefit me? That's pride. And when you're in pride, when you're in that place of pride and deception, you're not thinking about your family. You're not thinking about your future. You're not thinking about consequences. All you're thinking about because of pride is you're thinking about what do I want? I want to be happy, so this will make me happy. I want to be satisfied, so this will make me satisfied. I want to feel important, and this will make me feel important. And in pride, there is a place of deception where we make decisions based solely on ourselves. But humility, humility is interested in what benefits others. Humility says, man, what about my family? Humility makes decisions based on what's going to benefit the we and not just the me. I mean, think about in our, think about in our marriages. Think about in our family. 
How could this one principle change our families? If the people in your family begin to make decisions not based on what was best for me, but what was best for we. What was best for every person in the equation. Because let me just say what happens many times. Sometimes, man, let me say this to you men. Sometimes, men, the best job choice for you may not be the best job choice for your family. Oh, I can make more money. Yeah, but you're never going to be at home. So the best job choice for you may not always be the best job choice for your family. And then we get real prideful and we say, well, I'm the one having to work the job. Shouldn't it matter to me? Yes, it should matter to you, but your family should matter to you also. Right? And so we need to understand that pride comes in and pride causes us to begin to make decisions based solely on what's going to benefit me. Because sin is selfish. When I'm living in sin, I'm living in a place of pride and self-deception where it's all about me. No matter what the sin is. Any sin, every sin is rooted in selfishness and rooted in pride. Because when you're living in sin, you're living in rebellion against God and all you're thinking about is me, right? Because we say really smart stuff like this. Well, I'm not hurting anybody but me. Boy, isn't that genius? I'm not hurting anybody but me. Well, just look around. Let's look at your wife. Let's look at your kids. Let's look at your parents. Let's look at every person that's ever invested and loved you and cared about you. And you know what you'll find out? You'll find out your choices and your decisions are breaking and devastating their hearts. And their lives have been turned upside down because of your sin. And the root of that sin many times is the pride of life. That says, I'm only interested in what benefits me. I'm not actually thinking about what benefits others. That's pride. Let me give you our next point. Let's look at our next scripture. Verse 5 says, You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Look at that next point on your outline. Pride and humility are both attitudes of the mind. And how you set your mind determines how you live your life. Pride and humility, both of them are attitudes of the mind. They're mindsets, right? I have a mindset that is driven or rooted in pride, or I have a mindset that is driven or rooted in humility. If my mind is set in a place of humility, then you know what? I begin to live a life that honors God and cares about others. If my life is rooted, if my mindset is rooted in pride, then I begin to live a life that doesn't honor God and is rooted and grounded in only satisfying and gratifying me. It's a mindset. Let this attitude be in you that was also in Christ. Jesus was without a doubt the most humble person on the planet to this day. Nobody compares to the humility, to the generosity, or to the integrity of Jesus Christ. He is the ultimate model for the big three. He exemplifies these three characteristics in every facet of his life and his ministry. And he models for us the power of a humble life that we would begin to live with humility, that we would take on a mindset. And let me just interject right here. The reason you need to understand that humility and pride are both attitudes is because the Bible says the only way we can be transformed is by the renewing of our mind. See, if you don't change the way you think, then you'll never change the way you live. 
And the only way to change the way you think is you have to be you have to be you have to be you have to be introduced to truth on a consistent basis. You have to be introduced to truth. And so let me just encourage you in this. You hear this all the time at Liberty. You need to have a daily quiet time. You need to read the Bible every day. You need to pray every day. You need to have times of personal worship, prayer and fasting where you are seeking God on a daily basis. You have got to have your mind renewed. Why? Because pride and humility are attitudes. And let me tell you about the world we live in. Our world, our culture celebrates and applauds pride. Our world celebrates and applauds pride, right? Think about the business world for a minute. Man, think about in the business world, if you're not careful, you'll get sucked into a cutthroat mentality that says it don't matter who you have to step on or what you have to do, you just want to get to the top because I want to be the best. And so if I have to lie about this person or I have to manipulate this circumstance or if I have to shift and cover these numbers in order to get to the top, it's all legal and it's all good because it's just business. See, that little phrase, it's just business, means it's really just sin. <laughs> it's pride. It's the pride of life that says I'm going to do whatever I have to do to get what I want because I want to be better than you. And if I have to stomp on you and overcome you and work around you and deface you and devalue you and gossip about you in order to get what I want, it's all legal because it's business. And that's pride. And our world applauds it. Right? You stomp on people, step on people, Take advantage of people, and the world says, hey, I'm going to give you a raise. I'm going to give you a corner office, and I'm going to buy you a new car. That's wonderful. You're doing great. Just keep doing that. Watch television. Every commercial on television is driven by pride. This is what every commercial says. You deserve it. Right? You deserve it. You deserve the house, you deserve the car, you deserve the big juicy hamburger. You deserve it, right? I mean, think about it. You deserve it. That's what the world says. Every day your mind is being bombarded and applauded with the celebration of pride. We just had Gay Pride Month. Celebrating our pride. Our way of doing things outside of God's way of doing things because I want to be celebrated even though the life I'm living is a life that devalues the life that God called me to live. But because I want to be what I want to be, then I'm going to take pride in those things. So it's an attitude of the mind and the only way to bombard, the only way to combat the bombardment of our mind is to make sure, make sure we are fueling our faith with the Word of God on a daily basis in order to combat the lies of pride and arrogance and high-mindedness that come against us every day. All right, let's look at our next thought. Let's look at this next scripture. Y'all still with me? Yes. Amen. 6 through 8 says, though he was God, Jesus, speaking of Jesus, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. 
But instead, he gave up his divine privileges. I want you all to read that little phrase. He gave up. Let's say that together. He gave up. He gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave. He was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. That little statement, we we don't have a clue what that really means. Jesus did not just give up his divine privileges when he went to the cross. Jesus gave up his divine privileges when he left heaven and put on flesh and came to earth. I cannot even, and you cannot even begin to imagine the discrepancy of who he was and now how he had to live. He gave it all up. Why did he give it up? Because he was humble enough to think about others over himself. If on the cross he would have been self-centered, he would have got off the cross. But on the cross he stayed because he was thinking about me and you. And he was honoring and obeying his father. Let's look at our next point. I want you to see this. Pride clings to equality and privileges. Lou Holtz, who used to coach Notre Dame, now he's a sports announcer for college football. I read a book by him a couple years ago, and he said, the greatest difference he saw in our nation in 50 years, he said, 50 years ago, he said, when you talk to people, they talked about their obligations and their responsibilities. He said, now, 50 years later, when you talk to people, he said, all they want to talk about is their rights and their privileges. 50 years ago, it was my obligations and my responsibilities. 50 years later, it's all about my rights and my privileges. Pride clings to equality and privileges. Pride says, I don't want to give up anything. I don't want to be inconvenienced for you Because, hey, my life's just as important as your life, and my time's just as important as your time, and my money is just as important as your money, and I don't want to give up my time, my money, or my energy. I don't want to be inconvenienced for anybody because everything ought to revolve around me. That's pride. Pride clings to that equality. Well, you know, we're the same, and... And my money's just as valuable, my time's just as valuable, and you're asking me to give up time, and you're asking me to do this, and my family thinks I ought to do that. Well, you know what? It's my time, my privileges, my rights. Well, don't I have any rights? Actually, no, you don't. If you've been born again, the Bible says you have been bought with a price. You are not your own. You belong to God. Now, the exchange rate is you get to spend eternity in heaven, Versus spending eternity in hell, sounds like a good deal to me. But the reality is, is when you accepted the gift of salvation, you accepted the fact that God purchased you and you no longer belong to yourself. You don't have any rights and privileges, but you do have responsibilities and obedience to God that is expected of you. The Bible says Jesus humbled himself through obedience to the death on the cross. He gave up his rights. He gave up his privileges so that he could be obedient to God. 
I want to say to you today, if we would just begin to embrace a humble spirit and begin to abandon this self-centered mentality that says it's all about my rights and my privileges and begin to realize it's all about my responsibilities and my obedience to God. Let me tell you what excites me. Whenever I see a single parent and they're, they're raising the kids full time, and they're working 40, 50, 60, 70 hours a week just to put food on the table. You know what? When I see that person, man, I applaud them. You know why I applaud them? Because that's humility. Humility says I'm going to take responsibility for the children that God gave me. And I'm going to be obedient to God. And I'm going to provide for those he's put into my care. Because let me just tell you, it would be really easy... And all you single parents out there know this because you've heard this whisper from the enemy. It would be really easy for you to give in to the lie of the enemy that says, well, don't you deserve some free time? I mean, your spouse, he's out there doing what he wants to do. She's out there doing what she wants to do. They're not changing diapers. They're not paying the bills. And they're not washing the dishes. And they're not folding the clothes. And here you are washing the dishes and folding the clothes and working the, working the job and, and changing the diapers and wiping the snotty nose. And don't you deserve... To be happy? Don't you deserve some free time? Don't you deserve a little, a little you time? Come on. They're out there living it up and you're left holding the bag. And I want to tell you something. For every one of you single parents that are left holding the bag and you've stepped up and you've taken responsibility and you've been obedient to God, I want you to know heaven applauds you and we do too. You are amazing. And you should be proud of the person you have become because you are modeling for your children what it means to live a life like Jesus Christ. Humility embraces responsibility. Humility embraces obedience to God over my rights and my privileges. It says, I'm going to do what God's called me to do because God's called me to do it. And it might cost me something. Let me just give you a clue. It will cost you something. <laughs> but the price you pay will never be greater than the rewards you'll receive when you honor God with your life. Let me give you one last scripture. We're going to read the rest of Philippians here. Chapter 2, your last verses. 9 through 11. It says, therefore, God elevated Jesus to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God elevated him to the place of highest honor. Why? Because he humbled himself. Let's look at the last point or next to our last point on your outline. Through humility, we learn something. We learn that it is impossible to give up without going up to a higher level. It's impossible for you to give up your rights and your privileges. It's impossible for you to give up a spirit of pride and embrace the spirit of humility and not have God raise you up to a new level of living in Him. There is a joy, there is a blessing, there is an intimacy, there is a life that you will never live outside of humility. 
See, the greatest stumbling block for most men is pride. Most men don't ever want to get real with God. Most men don't ever want to humble themselves before the Lord. And most men watch their wives grow in intimacy with God while they sit on the pew at church and think, I kind of wish I had what she had, but I really don't want to do what she does, and so I'm just kind of going to hang back here. I want to tell you something. You are missing out on the greatest life you could ever live if you and I would only humble ourselves before the Lord. Humble ourselves before the Lord. So we learn that through humility, it's impossible to give up and not go up. God elevates the people that humble themselves. Scripture says this, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The scripture says, if you will humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, God will exalt you in due time. You can't give up and not go up. And God wants to raise you up. Let me just say this to you today, and we're going to look at our last point together. God's path of promotion. God's pathway of promotion is always humility. God does not promote pride. Never. You may fight your way into a position, but you'll be in rebellion against God because God does not promote pride. God promotes humility. And it's only when we begin to live out of a humble spirit where we begin to be other-centered instead of self-centered, where we begin to think about how does this benefit others instead of how does this benefit me, when we begin to lay down our rights and our privileges in order to take up our responsibility and our obedience, and all of a sudden, God says, man, that's the person I want to promote. That's the individual I want to raise up. That's the person I want to put in charge. That's the person I want to bless and prosper in a whole new way because they have a humble and a gentle spirit. Remember, humility is not weakness. Humility is power under control. Jesus was the most powerful man that ever walked the planet. And when he died on the cross, the Bible says they didn't take his life, he gave it. He gave it. He gave it. Why? Because he was humble. The greatest power the world had ever seen lived in a place of humility. It was power under control. Our last thought, integrity, generosity, and humility are the keys of victory. They unlock the life of faith.